Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. At Sephora, we know how you love to use makeup, skincare, hair care, and fragrances that work for you, but also how important it is to be in the know about the ingredients that are in them, which is why we created Clean at Sephora, curated products from brands like Merit, Amica, Summer Fridays, and Fleur that have everything you want, minus certain ingredients you might not. Clean at Sephora is only at Sephora. Shop now at Sephora.com. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Is this Margaret Martin? Yes, speaking. I got your name from the Wilkes-Barre Business College? Yes. I'm opening up a new insurance company and could use some assistance in the office, and you came highly recommended. Thank you for contacting me. You're welcome. Are you available tomorrow for an interview? Yes, absolutely. I look forward to discussing this opportunity with you. Insurance has always been an interest of mine. Is that so? Yes, it's important to always be protected. I like that. Might have to use that as our motto. It's all yours. I can tell you everything I learned and all that I can offer to you in your new business when we get started. Great. 3 p.m. tomorrow. See you then. The promise of employment that became a death sentence. If there's a crueler trap that you can set, I can't think of it at the moment. Well, not just any old job. That crucial first one right after graduation. At the intersection of insecurity and uncertainty. The height of desperation. Where you want nothing else but to prove that all that education was worth it. And that you can become an adult and earn your own income. It takes a special kind of evil to prey on the innocent graduate trying to start the next phase of her life. The power dynamic in a job interview is tricky enough to navigate. In and of itself, it doesn't require the possibility of murder to be more stressful. But that's where we are today. For the purposes of our discussion, it's convenient that in the newspaper, the help wanted ads are never far from the obituaries. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our first episode on Margaret Martin. If you like the show, we'd immensely appreciate if you leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. On December 17th, 1938... 
Margaret Martin met an unknown man a short walk from her home who claimed to be offering her a secretarial job. She got into his car and was never seen alive again. Her body was found a few days later, 25 miles from home. A lengthy manhunt ensued, and numerous suspects were examined, but no one was ever convicted. To this day, no one knows exactly what happened to her between the time of her abduction and her murder, or who the perpetrator was. A brutal mystery that ends with more questions than answers. A savage tale, completely devoid of justice. An unsettling piece of history that challenges the implicit trust in conventional social norms. Where do we start? Our harrowing story begins in a quaint, thriving town. As it always tends to go, it was a seemingly ordinary day. Our 21-year-old victim, Margaret, and her family hailed from northwestern Pennsylvania. They lived in Kingston, which is located on the western bank of the Susquehanna River. It was settled in the 1770s and incorporated as a borough in 1857. Now, what kind of population are we talking about? Well, at that time in the 1930s, it would have been about 20,000. Mm, that's a decent-sized community. Full of decent people. Margaret, the eldest of four children, sounds like she was more than decent. Her friend Betty Hopkins categorized her as a, quote, shy, studious, friendly girl who had many friends. And her mother described her as a, quote, living saint, a devout Catholic who never missed a day of Holy Communion since she first received it at 10 years old. Her bedroom was decorated with three pictures of saints, alongside a framed one of her dad as a World War I soldier. And she was known as an exceptional older sister to her three siblings. Sounds like a close-knit family. That was common at the time in an area like that. What was less common is that Margaret was educated beyond high school. The community had a rich history in American education. It is said that the first public school in Pennsylvania was erected in Kingston. Could that have contributed to Margaret's higher learning? Possibly. She was raised in a time period that saw tremendous increases in women's education at the college level. To put it in perspective, in 1900, there were 85,338 female college students in the country. By 1940, there were 600,953. Wow. Where did she attend? Wilkes-Barre Business College. Hmm. I've never heard of it. Don't beat yourself up. Doesn't exist anymore and it hasn't for some time. And what were they offering, young Margaret Martin? It was a post-secondary vocational school for secretaries, bookkeepers, and accountants. And Margaret had set her sights on becoming a stenographer. She mastered the art of transcribing speech in shorthand. She graduated with honors on December 1st, just a few short weeks before she was abducted and then found murdered. Indirectly, her education ultimately contributed to her tragic demise. Sadly, yes. The killer said he was starting a new insurance company, needed a secretary, and got Margaret's information from the Wilkes-Barre Business College. Meaning he most likely targeted her. He knew her name and enough information about her to obtain her number. And he was persuasive enough over the phone that Margaret quickly agreed to meet him in person, even though she knew very little about him. Suspiciously little. Are you sure I can't come with you to your interview, Margaret? I wouldn't look very professional if I brought my mother along. Besides, I'm not going that far, just down to Kingston Corners. What's the name of this company again? I don't think it has one yet. And his name? How come you weren't able to catch his name? I told you, I got caught up in the excitement. It was so quick. 
I just wish I knew who you were interviewing with. I promise I'll learn everything there is to know about him and his insurance company at the interview. Don't feel obligated to accept this job offer. I'm sure this is just the first of many opportunities. All right, mother. If he offers it to you right on the spot, you don't have to say yes. You can tell him you want to take the night to sleep on it and come home and discuss it with me and your father. I'm going to go now before you make me even more nervous than I already am. You'll do great. Thank you, mother. I really have to go now. Can't be late. Good luck, sweetheart. Come right back after the interview. I will. Sadly, Margaret never returned. The killer used the lure of potential employment to draw Margaret out into the open and then take her. They were set to meet at Kingston Corners. Which was just a short walk from her home. Miss Martin, how do you do? Hello, very well, thank you. Pleased to make your acquaintance. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you for meeting with me about the position. Is there somewhere you'd like me to wait while you park? My schedule is incredibly busy today. Organization is just one of the many reasons I need help in the office. It would make things easier for me today if we could just chat on the move. You want to interview me in the car? Precisely. I've got to run an errand, and then I can show you the office. But I promised my parents I'd come right back after the interview. Tell you what. I'll drive back and drop you off at your house after we're done discussing the position. How does that sound? I suppose that's all right. Great. Get in. What would you say is your greatest strength? I think I'd have to say my ability to learn new things quickly. I'm blessed to have quite a knack for it. What would you say is the key to a well-run office? Attention to detail. It's my understanding that one of the many reasons offices fail and find themselves in a decline is that things fall through the cracks. Postal correspondences go unread, calls are not returned, important paperwork is incorrectly filed away. With me at the helm, you wouldn't have to worry about any of that. Do you have any questions for me at this time? A many. Go ahead. The wage, the hours, the range of my duties? I'm terribly sorry, but I feel like I've done all the talking. Don't be. It's important for me to get a good sense of the person I'm going to be working with. This is a crucial part of the process. That's a relief to hear. I thought the offices were nearby. We seem to be driving awfully far out of town. Outside of town is when the real work begins. You know, this has been a lovely chat, but I think I need to get back. Can you drop me off at my parents' home now? Oh, darling. I'm afraid you're not going home. What are you talking about? I think I'd like it if you could stop the car. What are you doing? Pull over! I I want to get out! Pull the car over! We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And now let's continue the story. When Margaret didn't come home that day, her family reported her missing. Her friends and her family called the police and started a search, but her disappearance was difficult to publicize, since the local newspapers were in the middle of a six-month strike. Well, maybe that explains why the details are so light on this one. It was this complete lack of initial clues that led to the police's first theory. Well, what's that? They suspected that Margaret's disappearance was linked to a sex slavery ring. Oh, that's a bit of a leap. Maybe now, but in 1938, this apparently seemed like a reasonable supposition. What about the dark-colored sedan witnesses saw Margaret get into? No one wrote down the license plate. After all, the witnesses didn't notice anything particularly unusual. It wasn't like Margaret was walking along the street when a van sped up, flung open the door, and grabbed her. She had a chat with the killer and then got into the car on her own accord. Unable to locate the car, the cops had little to go off of. It was four days after Margaret went missing that the next break in the case arrived, courtesy of a 19-year-old boy who fancied himself a hunter. Anthony Rezikowski and his friends set out to trap the muskrats he had spotted in Keelersburg Creek. But as he carefully walked along a small bridge spanning the creek, he spotted something strange in the icy water. Look, over here. I think I found a den. So now what? We need to set the trap up just outside it. (laughs) Then they'll go down the runway and snap. Will they die quick? Who cares? They're rats. Just seems like a painful way to go, even for a rat. Well, if they don't get crushed to death, they should drown in the creek pretty quick. Be careful setting the jaws. I am. Ow! Stupid thing nearly took off my finger. I told you to be careful. It's your fault. You distracted me. Just don't talk for a minute. Fine. (laughs) My God. I told you not to talk. Forget the trap. Look over there. Under the bridge. I don't see anything. Look closer. At the creek. See? See that burlap sack? And the... What are you talking... Oh, Jesus. Is that an arm? Anthony ventured closer, using a stick to poke at the partly submerged burlap sack. Inside, he discovered the body of Margaret Martin. It wasn't exactly a well-traveled part of the Wyoming County wilderness. People described this particular section as lonely. Had it not been for the young hunters, police speculated that the body might not have been discovered for years. Which is why they started to suspect only someone familiar with the territory would have placed her body in such a specific spot like the creek under the bridge. The police lieutenant asserted that the perpetrator parked his car 75 yards away and then deposited her under the bridge, assuming no one would find her in the wilderness. Margaret was found a good 20 miles north of her hometown of Kingston. The manner in which the body was found, stuffed into the bag which was clumsily stitched closed with some twine and dropped in the creek, strongly suggested to the authorities that the actual murder took place elsewhere. Knots were not the killer's specialty because one of them had slipped open. One of Margaret's arms was protruding from the opening in the sack. 
And there was nothing else in the burlap sack? She was stripped of all her clothing as well as her class ring. The sole piece of jewelry she always wore. And the condition of the body? Not good at all. Her knees were curled up to her chin. She had bruises along her body and throat and a deep knife gash across her abdomen. That's brutal. The only silver lining for Margaret's devastated parents was that they could at least quash the rumors swirling through the town that their daughter was being held prisoner as some sort of sex slave. Well, their statements reflected that small silver lining. We would rather know that she is dead than believe she was in the hands of white slavers. Our little girl fought for herself and died the pure girl that she was. I've read about many missing girls, and I thank God that my little girl is no longer missing. We do not want vengeance. We know there is divine justice. But the discovery of Margaret's body confirmed that a killer was on the loose. And justice was not forthcoming. Margaret's aunt issued a dire warning to the townspeople. Girls will not be safe in Kinston until the man who killed Margaret is caught. There should be a curfew in place. Women and children should go directly home after work and school. Police need to recruit more efforts to go door to door. If I was a young girl, I wouldn't feel comfortable walking down the street to get a quart of milk. Terror has struck our fair town and we are not responding accordingly. Rest assured, if it happened to my sweet, innocent niece, then it could very well happen to your daughter, sister, or wife next. Hmm, that couldn't have helped morale. With snowfall covering the killer's tracks and the holidays approaching, police turned their attention to Margaret's body for a lead. What was the coroner's assessment? That the body had been dead for nearly 24 hours before it was found. So, if she was found four days after she was reported missing, that means it's likely there were maybe two or three days where she was held hostage by her killer. That's a terrifying thought. The coroner also noticed strangulation and knife wounds. Her body was badly bruised, and he suspected that she was beaten. And the report said possibly with a rock. Truly awful. The official cause of death that the coroner listed was strangulation. Strangulation typically suggests the killer knows their victim. They share some type of history. Did the report say anything else? The autopsy also went on to disclose that Margaret suffered the molestation of a degenerate. Mm, perhaps a euphemism to imply the killer raped her. Sounds like it. With the body recovered, it was time to lay her to rest. Margaret's funeral was set for December 24th. Mm, it was not going to be a happy holiday for many that year. Several plainclothes police officers attended Margaret's Christmas Eve funeral. What were they hoping to accomplish? Well, the plan was simple. Try to spot somebody suspicious among the attendees there. Look alive. Family is heading in. I see him. Siblings are too young to lose their big sister. It's a shame. Pew number four, on the left-hand side. He's not even crying. Colvin already checked him. He's got an alibi. You really think the killer's going to show up? If he does, we'll be ready for him. <laughs> Amen to that. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. And now, back to our story. No arrests were made at Margaret's Christmas Eve funeral, so the manhunt continued and expanded. The Scranton Tribune boldly predicted that the murder would be solved in 24 hours. 75 state troopers tramped through the snow in the mountains in a widespread search. Braving the Pennsylvania winter, they traversed the landscape going farm to farm, knocking on doors, investigating every angle. In a dual quest to bring Margaret's killer to justice and to quell the rising panic in the community. The manhunt continued into 1939 and lasted months, but they had little to go on. The only clues from the crime scene were the two burlap bags, a length of sash cord that bound Margaret's body, and a man's silk scarf. Police first thought that the burlap sacks might have come from little supply stores in neighboring small communities of Knoxon and Kunkel. But it very quickly turned out that it could have been purchased anywhere in the country. And they couldn't pinpoint where the killer bought the sash cord either. What about the scarf? No identifying marks. Darn. But then eyewitness reports started to pour in. Kingston Police Department, how may I direct your call? Yes, hello. I have information about the Martin girl. What kind of information? I was there that day. I saw her get into the car and I can describe... Kingston Police Department, how may I direct your call? I'd like to speak to a detective as soon as possible. What seems to be the matter, miss? The man that Margaret Martin was speaking to that day? I got a pretty good look at him. Kingston Police Department, how may I direct your call? Um, I didn't really put it together until now. But the young woman in the news? I was there when she disappeared. I saw everything. As more witnesses to the ill-fated street corner appointment came forward, a picture of Margaret's potential employer came into focus. Witnesses described the killer as a neatly dressed businessman with sandy hair, 25 to 30 years old and slightly on the heavy side. His clothes were brown. They characterized him as well-spoken. One went further to say that he was suave, which for some reason makes him even more despicable to me. But no solid leads came from the witness accounts. Instead, police found their next lead at a sawmill near Forkston. Looking at a map, that's about 15 miles from the creek where Margaret's body was found. In the sawmill's firebox, they found burned clothing that matched the clothing Margaret was last seen wearing. Police began to piece together a theory. They started to suspect that the killer attempted to dismember her body and destroy the evidence at the sawmill, but then they were scared off by the mill's owner, James Kedd. I've seen something. My eyes ain't fooling me. I hear you. You don't scare me. I'm too old to fear anything these days, you understand? Now get. You better get out of there. I'll show you I mean business. 
James, assuming that the killer was nothing more than a trespasser, fired a warning shot in the killer's direction. Which could have possibly sent the killer down to the creek where he abandoned Margaret's body. While the police were confident in this find, thinking the analysis of the ashes would concretely link them to Margaret, ultimately, they weren't so fortunate. It wouldn't be the only time that a clothing lead would trip up the investigators. Nope, there was the report that came out of Oregsburg. Two young girls saw someone throwing a bundle of clothing from an automobile and called the authorities. Are you dialing? It's ringing. Did you see the plate? Oregsburg Police Department, am I a director call? Yes, hello. I'd like to report a suspicious car that just sped by and threw out a bunch of clothing out the window. They're torn to shreds and we, th- we think there's blood on them. Were you able to get the license plate of the car? No. When police chased down that lead, it turned out not to be a match either. The crime scene clues, the body, and the clothing all turned out to be a bust. So the police were left to delve further back into the community for answers. And do what we're about to do. Rule out the suspects one by one. With both the crime scene leads and the manhunt turning up next to nothing, it was time for authorities to entertain key persons of interest. But alas, that attitude was not necessarily shared across town by Margaret's family. We are sure the police are doing everything they can to find the man who took her. But no matter what they do, they cannot bring Margaret back to us alive. Nevertheless, the police provided hope to the community when they shared this at a press conference. The status of the case is no different than it was a month ago. There have been no arrests made, but there are several suspects under observation. Several theories about the killer's identity circulated around town, and the police took every single claim seriously. There was the Wyoming County mortician, who was suspicious only in that he was comfortable around dead bodies. As any mortician would be. That's a non-starter. What about the other local suspects? Another suspect the police considered was a local Kingston teenager who was known to have a crush on Margaret. The teenager with the crush. This stool taken? No. I heard you don't dance. I've got two left feet, I'm afraid. So if dancing's out of the question, what would you want to do on a date with me? Are you asking me out? Um... Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry, but don't you think you're a little young for me? Just go on one date with me. You'll see how much of a man I am. No thanks. Why don't you try asking a girl your own age? Somehow, I'm not buying that a teenage boy in 1938 has A, the wherewithal to plan a murder of this sort, B, the strength to kill a woman a few years older than him, and C, access to a car for long enough to kidnap and kill Margaret. And where would a teenage boy keep her hostage? Hmm. Fair point. This crime requires the resources of an independent adult. Who's left? Anyone? Oh, yes. For a case with such limited information, there's a surprising number of suspects. Just, unfortunately, not that much information on them. Well... There were the two men who lured a 16-year-old Hanover Township girl to a hotel and then attempted to attack her. We got the keys to a hotel room just down the street. What do you say? Want to continue the party? Could be fun. Is that a yes? Sounds like a yes to me. 
Anything to drink there? Of course. Right this way. Your party awaits. Will there be music? Where's the giggle juice? On the way. I thought there'd be other folks here. I think I should- Where do you think you're going? Let me out! Somebody help me! Get her! Luckily, she got away. It seems like too sloppy of a crime for Margaret Martin's sophisticated killer. I doubt they had any involvement in her death. And the police agreed with you. They were cleared. As the investigation went on, the spring weather was warming up Pennsylvania. But the case was getting cold. It was looking less and less likely that Margaret's killer would ever be found. But then came a shocking development in the case. Someone finally confessed to the heinous crime. Tune in next week to find out who. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. And next Tuesday, we'll continue our investigation into Margaret Martin. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro and Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Carrie Murphy. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unsolved Murders is written by Adam Gaines and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Jerry Courtney Austin, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, Steve Pinto, Greg Polson, and Daniel Velasquez. Hey.